Evidence and Answers. Is belief in God irrational? Has science clearly demonstrated God does not exist? Is belief in God dangerous? Is religion the cause of the conflicts in the world today? These are some of the arguments from the New Atheist Movement. Can their arguments be answered? Welcome to this edition of Evidence and Answers with your host, Dr. Pat Zucrin. Pat is an author, scholar, and teacher in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. This message and Pat's articles on this topic are available on Pat's website, evidenceandanswers.org. Let's join Pat now as he concludes his message, Answering the New Atheists. The Rational Response Squad, they were once the number one atheist website. And when they opened the debate, you can listen to it on evidenceandanswers.org. They said, now Pat and Kevin are Christians and they're going to present arguments. They're, they're just going to say faith, faith. They're not going to present any solid historical or reasonable evidence. They're just going to say faith, faith, faith. No matter what we throw at them and disprove everything they're saying, they're just going to say faith, faith, faith. You just got to believe. And we've debated hundreds of Christians and that's what they say. That's not a good argument. Buddhists can say that. Muslims can say Anybody can say that. So when it came to our turn to open up, we said, well, thank you for clarifying that issue for us. That is not biblical faith at all. Biblical faith is built on good, sound reason and evidence. Right? Biblical faith is not a blind leap in the dark. Thank you for clarifying that for us. Caught them totally off guard. Okay? They didn't know how to respond to that. Christianity is not a blind leap in the dark. Now, principle to remember here, the heart does not commit to what the mind is not convinced of, all right? If you go to McDonald's and you're not mentally convinced this food is safe, you're not going to commit to eating it. You got to have good reason to take a step of faith. The heart will not commit to what the mind is not convinced of. So often to our unbelieving friends, we need to build a case that Christianity is a rational, reasonable decision before often they'll listen to us seriously. Biblical faith is taking a rational step in the direction where the evidence leads. So that's one myth you've got to dispel. Christianity is simply the result of irrational thinking. It's a reasonable faith built on good evidence and reason. Second argument, science has proven God does not exist. The new atheists build a myth that science and faith are at war and can never be reconciled. Anyone being serious about the sciences would end up being an atheist. Well, science and the Christian faith are not enemies. In fact, it is the Christian worldview that gave birth to the modern sciences. For 400 years, Christianity and science were allies. It's the Christian worldview that gave birth to the modern sciences. It's only in very recent times have people tried to make them enemies. Look at the founders of the modern sciences. Many of these men were men deeply committed to the belief in God and many to Jesus Christ. It is the idea that God is a rational, reasonable God, that he created an ordered and designed universe which can be studied, which gave birth to the modern sciences. Look at these names. Johannes Kepler, father of celestial mechanics. Blaise Pascal, father of hydrostatics. Isaac Newton, perhaps the greatest mathematical mind of modern times, the father of calculus. James Simpson, the father of gynecology. Louis Pasteur, the father of bacteriology. On and on. 
you'll find that many of the founders of the modern sciences were men deeply committed to God and many to Jesus Christ. Just read their works. For example, Johannes Kepler wrote this, May God make it come to pass that my delightful speculation in the Mysterium Cosmographicum have everywhere amongst reasonable men fully the effect which I strove to obtain in the publication, namely that belief in the creation of the world be fortified through this external support. Through his study, he wanted people to come to believe in a divine designer. Sir Isaac Newton, maybe the greatest mathematical mind of modern times, said this, It is not to be conceived that mere mechanical causes could give birth to so many regular motions, since the comets range over all parts of the heavens in very eccentric orbits. This most beautiful system of sun, planets, and comets could only proceed from the counsel and dominion of an intelligent and powerful being. And even today, many scientists are affirming an intelligent designer. Here's some of the top scientists, many of whom would not put themselves in the Christian camp. Here's what they have to say. Dr. Fred Hoyle, the astrophysicist who introduced the steady state theory of the universe, says this, a super intellect has monkeyed with physics as well as chemistry and biology. Dr. Robert Griffiths, the winner of the Heinemann Prize in Mathematical Science, the highest award given in the mathematical sciences, states this, if we need an atheist to debate, I go to the philosophy department. The physics department isn't much use. Dr. Robert Jastrow, he's an agnostic, award-winning scientist, oversees the Goddard Space Institute there in California, and he says this in his wonderful book, God and the Astronomers. For the scientist who has lived by faith in the power of reason, the story ends like a bad dream. He has scaled the mountains of ignorance. He is about to conquer the highest peak. As he pulls himself over the final rock, he is greeted by a band of theologians who have been sitting there for centuries. Here is Dr. Francis Collins, perhaps the greatest authority, the top authority in the study of genetics today, the leader of the Human Genome Project accomplished under President Clinton. And he writes this in his book, The Language of God. As he studied the precision of DNA, came to a belief in God and Jesus Christ. And he said this, many will be puzzled by these sentiments, assuming that a rigorous scientist could not also be a believer in a transcendent God. This book aims at dispelling that notion by arguing that belief in God can be an entirely rational choice and that the principles of faith are in fact complementary with the principles of science. And at the White House, with President Clinton standing by his side, he stated, it's a happy day for the world. It is humbling and awe-inspiring for me that we caught the first glimpse of our own instruction book previously only known to God. Here's one of the top authorities on genetics. After all of his studies, says this points to intelligent design. Here's the final one I'm going to present because he's such a fun one. Dr. Anthony Flew. He is perhaps our generation's greatest atheist philosopher. He's a man who debated C.S. Lewis. No one has presented any new arguments for atheism until he came along. He is a titan. He's a giant amongst atheists. Well, about 10 years ago, he came to belief in God. 
Yeah, send shockwaves throughout the atheist community. That'd be like Billy Graham converting to Islam. All right, that's how huge it is for the atheists. <laughs> how did he come to that decision? Well, after all his studies, one of the things I admire about Anthony Flew, he said, you have to follow the evidence wherever it leads, even if to conclusions you don't like. And he lived by his code. He has three key questions. He said, how did the laws of nature come to be? How did we get such an ordered universe like this? How did life come from non-life? How did the universe come into existence? Can't come from nothing, right? As philosopher Julie Andrews says in her song, right? Nothing produces nothing produces nothing. And he found that intelligent design gives the most reasonable answer. He states here in an interview with the Christian Research Journal, Darwin saw that there was a problem with the origin of life. It is simply out of the question that the first living matter evolved out of dead matter and then developed into an extraordinary complicated creature of which we have no examples. There must have been some intelligence. Coming from perhaps the man who was the greatest atheist philosopher of our generation. The principle to remember here, Science and faith in God are not enemies. In fact, science affirms the evidence of an intelligent designer. So, you young people out there going into the sciences, there's no need to be afraid of the sciences if you're trained and equipped in the Christian worldview. From the telescope to the microscope, the evidence is pointing to intelligent design. And in fact, science can enhance our understanding of God's creation and the scriptures if we are properly equipped in the Christian worldview. For the astronomer, the astrophysicist, who is studying the universe, Psalm 19, which states the heavens declare the glory of God. Day and night they pour forth his wisdom. The astronomer, the physicist, has a whole greater understanding of that as they discover the intricacies of the universe. The medical student, the biologist, has a greater understanding of Psalm 139 than I would understand. Psalm 39, where David states, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. A medical student, a microbiologist, a biologist, studying the human body and the cell understands that verse in a much deeper way than those of us in theology would understand. Science and the Christian faith were allies for centuries. It's only in recent times have they been made to look like enemies. But indeed, the Christian need not be afraid of the sciences, for the more we're discovering, it's pointing to intelligent design. Finally, belief in God is dangerous. Many portray religion as dangerous, but what the new atheists are often attacking is misrepresentations of the biblical character of God and Christian teachings. Richard Dawkins writes in his book, The God Delusion, the God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all fiction. A jealous and proud of it, a petty, unjust, unforgiving control freak, a vindictive, bloodthirsty, ethnic cleanser, a misogynistic, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, filicidal, pestilential, megalomaniacal, sadomasochistic, capriciously malevolent bully. Well, no Christian believes in a God like that. The Old and New Testament don't teach of a God like that. What Richard Dawkins is pretty much showing us is really his superficial misunderstandings 
of the Bible. A common technique in the press and in the culture is to misrepresent Christianity using similar terms. Philosopher and theologian Rosie O'Donnell stated, radical Christianity is just as threatening as radical Islam in a country like America. Often the culture will use similar terms on the same people, misrepresenting that particular movement. For example, a Christian who takes seriously the teachings of Christ is called a fundamentalist. A Muslim who takes seriously the example of Muhammad and the teachings of the Quran is called a fundamentalist. You get it? Christian fundamentalists, Islamic fundamentalists, and to the outside world, it seems like, well, both of these are the same. Wow, they're dangerous. Well, when I was being interviewed uh, by the Dallas Morning News, that's what the reporter told me. She said, I don't have any problem with you religious people. Religion's not bad. It's fundamentalism that is bad. And I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. I said, there's a big difference between a Christian fundamentalist and, say, an Islamic fundamentalist. She said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, a Christian fundamentalist takes seriously the teachings of Jesus and tries to follow his example as much as he can. I said, an Islamic fundamentalist takes the teachings of the Quran seriously and tries to follow the example of Muhammad as literally as he can. What was Muhammad? He was a warrior. Okay, the oldest biography by Ibn Ishaq records he fought in 30 wars. Look at the teachings of Islam. The world is divided into two distinct divisions here. The house of Islam, those who are Muslim, and everyone else belongs to the house of war. How does Islam teach us to treat unbelievers? Surah 9, the surah of the sword. Fight and slay the pagans wherever you find them. Seize them, beleaguer them, and lie in wait for them in every stratagem. Fight those who believe not in Allah, nor the last day, nor hold that forbidden which hath been forbidden by Allah and His Prophet, nor acknowledge the religion of truth, even if they are people of the book, Christians and Jews, until they pay the heavy tax and with willing submission feel themselves subdued. Unbelievers have three choices. Convert, live as a second-class citizen, or meet the sword. Chapter 8 of the Quran. Okay, and you don't have to take my word for it if you don't believe it. Read the Quran yourself. Read the teachings of Muhammad. Look at the life and example that Muhammad set. Go read his oldest biography by Ibn Ishaq, Surat Rasul, the life of the prophet Muhammad. Chapter 8 of the Quran. I will instill terror into the hearts of unbelievers. Smite you above their necks and smite all their fingertips off them. This because they contended against Allah and his apostle. Allah is strict in punishment. Okay, so a Islamic fundamentalist will take the life and example of Muhammad seriously and his teachings seriously. Well, a Christian fundamentalist will try to follow the model of Jesus and his teachings closely. What did Jesus teach? Love your enemy. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Someone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to everyone who asks, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. In other words, if we followed the teachings of Jesus, we'd have a pretty peaceful society, wouldn't we? 
the teachings of the two religions are not morally equivalent. Study the life of Muhammad and Jesus and you'll find they're not the same. Okay? I wrote a whole article on that. Radically different. Well, here's one objection you'll hear in the atheist writings. What about God commanding the genocide of the Canaanites? What about that? God saying, wipe out whole civilizations. At this time in the Old Testament, God is using Israel as an instrument of judgment upon wicked nations. At this time, it is what is called a theocracy. And Leviticus 18 and other books of the Old Testament record the practices of many of these civilizations. They included temple prostitutions, which included the kidnapping and forcing of boys and girls into temple prostitution. The practice was extremely destructive to families and individuals. There was the worship of Molech, the god of the underworld. The idol of Molech was a bull with a human body standing upright with his arms outstretched this way and an open furnace in his belly. And you would place your child on top the arms of Molech and they would go rolling down to the burning cauldron here. And then, as a historian wrote, as the flame burning the child surrounded the body, the limbs of the child would shrivel up and the mouth of Molech would appear to grin as if laughing until the child was shrunk enough to slip into the burning cauldron. Okay, that's the kind of stuff that was going on in these civilizations. They were beyond redemption at this point. And God needed to protect this kind of practice from spreading throughout the land. And we saw that wherever these practices entered into civilization, it utterly destroyed the civilizations. In fact, in 1 Kings chapter 11, it says that even King Solomon sacrificed to the god Molech. So God being a just God uses Israel to judge these wicked cities. Right? Now, if you want to take that command literally, you need to find some Amalekites and Girgashites and Perizzites, all right? But they're not around. They're gone. That's different from jihad, which is worldwide on the unbelieving world. And that's what a just uh, and holy and loving God would do. Take, for example, let's say I am the mayor of Oahu. And you know that right down the road here where McDonald's is, is a temple that kidnaps children and forces them into temple prostitution. So kids are molested daily, hundreds of children. Along with that, there's child sacrifice and other things going on at this temple. Now I, as the mayor of Oahu, come walking by and you see me. And you say, Mayor, do you know what's going on at that temple over there? And I say, sure, child sacrifice, kids are being molested and kidnapped. Oh. And you say, well, what are you gonna do about it, Mayor? And I say, oh, nothing. Hey, let him go, that's fine. What would you do? You try to get me out of office right away. The just and right thing for me as the one in authority is to shut that temple down and throw all those guys in charge right in the jail and throw away the key. Well, that's what we have here. And a just and loving God uses Israel as his instrument of judgment. Now, is it Christianity that is dangerous or is it atheism that is dangerous? Friedrich Nietzsche, the philosopher who said God is dead, said when we rid ourselves of God, we end up with relativism, which will result in blood in the streets. And our past century has been the bloodiest century in human history. 
Nietzsche's philosophy of atheism gave rise to some of the worst systems of economics and government the world has ever seen, atheistic communism, which has led to the death of millions in the 20th century. Historian Paul Robinson referred to Hitler, Stalin, and Mussolini as the three devils of the 20th century. All were influenced by Darwin and Nietzsche. In fact, it is Hitler who gave a copy of Nietzsche to Mussolini. Not only do we have the European three, we've got the fabulous three in Asia as well. Mao, Pol Pot, Kim Il-sung, responsible for the death of millions. In all, atheistic communism has been responsible for the murder of over a hundred million people. Is it Christianity that is dangerous, or is it the philosophy of atheism? The lesson we learn here, we must understand our faith well enough to dispel the false myths that keep people from belief in God. We're called to love those who question or even attack the Christian faith. The teachings in all religions are not morally equivalent. Applying Christ's teachings would create a very peaceful society. And it is not Christianity, but atheism that has proven to be dangerous. Well, how shall we meet the challenge of the new atheists? Well, we're called to meet the challenge and answer the challenges, even from those who seek to destroy the faith. Loving them means we listen to their arguments and answer them with intelligence, love, and respect. Paul states, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Often we've got to demolish these false arguments before they'll seriously listen to our message. Peter writes in 1 Peter 3.15, But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you the reason for the hope you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. What do we learn here? We learn the heart does not commit to what the mind is not convinced of. So we must demonstrate to believers as well as unbelievers there's good evidence and good reasons for our faith in Christ. Well, the goal of the new atheists is to rid the world of faith in God, yet the majority of the world continues to believe in God. The new atheists say that Christianity is irrational, but atheism leads to some very irrational conclusions. If there is no God, we must ultimately conclude life is void of meaning, significance, and hope. Our life is ultimately meaningless. On a radio debate, I stated this point, and the atheist said, well, that's your opinion. And I said, no, I'm simply repeating what you atheist philosophers have already said. And he said, like who? Bertrand Russell wrote the book, Why I'm Not a Christian. He wrote this, man is the product of causes which had no provision of the end they were achieving. That his origin, his growth, his hopes and fears, his loves and his beliefs are but the outcome of accidental collocation of atoms. That no fire, no heroism, no intensity of thought and feeling can preserve an individual life beyond the grave. That all the labors of all the ages, all the devotion, all the inspiration, all the noonday brightness of human genius are destined to the extinction in the vast death of the solar system and that the whole temple of man's achievement must inevitably be buried beneath the debris of a universe in ruins. One day, 
The universe is going to die as it reaches its state of final entropy. So will mankind, so will our solar system. What then is to become of all our great achievements and those that we love and the things that we have striven and fought for? They all end in extinction and annihilation. In other words, our life is ultimately without meaning, significance, or hope. Dr. Provine, a biology professor at Cornell University, writes this. If atheism is true, it ultimately means no life after death, no absolute foundation for right and wrong, no ultimate meaning for life, no free will. If atheism is true, they come to some very irrational conclusions. And no atheist lives consistently that life has no meaning, significance, or hope. Psalm 14:21. the fool says in his heart there is no God. The new atheists say Christianity is irrational, but might it be the new atheists who are irrational? It's time for Christians to get equipped in the defense of our faith in the art of refuting false ideas and present a compelling case for Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the reason and the evidence for our faith. It's not a blind leap in the dark. And we pray for each one here, they would be equipped and ready to give an answer for the hope they have within them with gentleness and love. They may have a great impact in the state of Hawaii and throughout this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this concludes Pat's message on the New Atheist Movement. If you missed any part of this message, log on at evidenceandanswers.org, and you can listen to the entire message and read Pat's related articles. While you're there, check out Pat's new book, Unless I See, Is There Enough Evidence to Believe? In this book, Pat presents the compelling evidence for the existence of God and the shortcomings of Darwin's theory of evolution. This is a great book for every Christian who wants to be an effective witness for Christ in our culture today. Pat's ministry with Probe International relies on the generous donations from you, our listeners. If you've been blessed by Pat's teaching, please support him in prayer and with a financial gift by logging on at evidenceandanswers.org. We thank you for joining us today and look forward to being with you again next week for more of Evidence and Answers. Evidence and Answers.